We are studying the book of Acts, a wonderful book, a second volume, if you will, from Luke. He said in Acts 1 and verse 1, The former treatise I made with you, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. It is a second letter, if you will, to explain what the apostles of Jesus did and taught. One of the great things that you and I have when we have in our Bibles is to see God's great and divine plan for his kingdom, the church. If you go to the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament is looking forward to the coming of a great event. You can go to such wonderful passages as Isaiah chapter 2 beginning with verse 1, Micah chapter 2 beginning with verse 1, Joel chapter 2, or you can go to Daniel chapter 2. Doesn't it seem amazing that all those chapter 2s are looking forward to the coming of this great event in the church? And yet, when you get to the New Testament, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He would say further in Matthew 16 and verse 18, And I say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Everything was focused toward the coming of the church. When we get to Acts 2, the church is here. It's almost as if there is this awesome anticipation of a great event, and that day has arrived. Last Sunday, we looked at chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. The last thing that was said in verse 21, prophesying from Joel's account, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel was looking to a time when salvation would be offered. Those of us who are sinners, and that includes us all, we are in need of a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. And Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 22, and going through the end of the chapter, verse 47, we will have recorded for us the great sermon of Peter. And if you will, here are four things that I want us to study and look at as we study Acts chapter 2. We're going to concentrate on the person. It's going to be about Jesus Christ. Then we're going to look at the points that Peter made in his sermon. Every time a preacher gets up to preach, whether he tells you that there's three points or four points that he's trying to make in his lesson, he is trying to prove to you, based upon what you know and you understand, that this is the case. And what Peter is trying to prove is that Jesus was the Christ. You come to the pinnacle of this lesson, one where everybody begins to understand the lesson is to me. It has application to my life, and that's found in verse 36 and 37. Then we're going to conclude with the prescription that Peter offers in verses 38 and following. So with your Bible in hand... I'd like to encourage you, let's begin our study in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 22. The person. Peter introduces by the lesson by saying that the subject 
is Jesus of Nazareth. Look carefully at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Why say Jesus of Nazareth? Because the name Jesus in the first century was very common. Oh, you say, well, it's not common among us today. Oh, but among our Hispanic friends it is. You've heard of Jesus. That's simply Jesus in Spanish. You may not know that the name Joshua is exactly the same as Jesus. It means Savior. So when you speak of Jesus, you have to narrow down which one are you speaking of. You're talking about Jesus from the city of Nazareth. But as you go a little bit further, you realize that he would be called the Christ. I'm afraid many times when people read their Bibles, they read Jesus Christ and they think Jesus was his first name, given name, and that Christ somehow was his last name. No, it's Jesus the Christ. Christ means the anointed one. It means the Messiah that was promised from the Old Testament. Peter twice will make reference to being this Jesus. Look at verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's specific. It's about a person. It's just like in Luke 24, the men on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is walking along with them. They don't know who he is, and he's trying to ask about what all's going on. And their answer is, are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't known what's going on in these days? And then it says... When they said what things, they said the the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Oh, we're talking about Jesus. He is the subject of this lesson. But you see, if a man is going to preach as God would want him to preach, he's going to continually focus on the message about Christ You can't preach the way God would want you to preach and leave out the person of who it is. Paul would say in Acts chapter 9, immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God, proving this Jesus. Acts 17 verse 3, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. You see, the preaching is all about the person. If you were to ask Peter, what is the title of your lesson? What is the topic about which you are preaching? I'm preaching about Jesus being the Christ. The apostles continued to do that. Acts 5 verse 42, and daily in the temple in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You get to Acts 8 as the gospel goes out beyond Jerusalem. It starts going out in the area of Samaria. Acts 8 and verse 5. 
Then Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. When Paul wrote Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 2 through 4, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. And then he goes on to say that if somebody else come and preaches another Jesus, you may put up with that person. You may listen to him. But there's really only one Jesus who is the topic of our lesson. But now Peter is going to make some very important points about Jesus. He's going to stress some things that they could see and know and understand. And uh, I encourage you to think about these as we go through here. The very first one he's going to make is that he was attested to by God. This Jesus that you're looking at He worked miracles. Now, I can tell you there's more to it than that. There's the fact that when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, there was a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, when he appeared with uh, Moses and Elijah, and you have here the... Statement being made, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. But here Peter draws attention to the fact that Jesus had worked miracles that they themselves had seen. Look at verse 22. He said, by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Oh, there have been some people who had seen Jesus feed 5,000. There have been some people who had been present when he raised Lazarus from the dead. I don't know if you remember, but this summer I preached six lessons on Jesus, the master of miracles, and all the wonderful deeds that he did. In John 7 and verse 31, And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes... Will he do more signs than these which this man has done? The people knew it. They had seen it. John eleven forty seven. the chief priests and the Pharisees of the council said, What shall we do? This man works many signs. In John 12, 17 through 19, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him because they had heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that we're accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world is going or has gone after him. I want you to see in your mind those people to whom Peter was preaching. You know him. You saw him. You saw the miracles that he performed. But the second point that he's going to make is that Jesus died because God planned it. It wasn't as if the enemies of Jesus succeeded by killing him and that he was somehow defeated. Listen carefully to verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have by lawless hands have crucified 
and put to death by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Did God intend for Jesus to die? Yes, he did. Oh, it's got to be that way. Else you would not have a Savior. You wouldn't have the shed blood of Jesus. When Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, Upon this rock I will build my church. He followed that in verse 21 by saying that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Oh, Jesus knew what was coming because the Father had determined it. In Matthew 26 and verse 39, you remember Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane before he's going to be betrayed and he's going to pray to God. What is he going to pray? Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Father, I'm willing to do your will. What is that will? What does Jesus know is coming? His death, because it had been determined. This past Wednesday evening, I was asked to speak on the church in the eternal purpose of God at the West Fayetteville Congregation. When you go to Ephesians chapter 3, there is a strong point being made by Paul about the church. He says in verse 10 to the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. He follows that in verse 11 by saying, according to the eternal purpose, now listen carefully, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There was an eternal purpose. Before God ever said, let there be light, God had a plan in mind to save what would become sinful man. He already had in his mind and in his plan and in his purpose the church. And God had a plan that Jesus would be the Savior. The next point that Peter makes is that God overruled the work of man and the plan of the devil by raising Jesus from the dead. You see, had Jesus remained in that tomb, the blood would have been shed, but he would not have been proved to be the Son of God. But you see, Peter points out that God not only planned that he die, but God planned that he be raised from the dead. And so Peter will quote Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. Now listen carefully to verse 10. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, or Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now, Think about that idea for just a second. The soul and the body separate at death. James 2, verse 26. Where is the soul of Jesus going to go? It's going to go to paradise. Remember what he told the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. 
Where did his body go? His body went into the tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. He did not allow his soul to remain in Sheol or Hades. It didn't stay there. It came back. Nor did he allow the flesh of that body placed in that tomb to begin to corrupt. In Psalm 132, verse 11, The Lord has sworn in truth to David, He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. Oh, David, one of your descendants is going to sit upon the throne. That's whom I'm speaking. Peter says in his sermon, The patriarch David... His body is still with with us today. You can visit his sepulcher. You can visit his grave, if you will. Every time I've been to Jerusalem, they lead us to a room in the part of the old city of Zion. And you go in and you see this big, what looks like a casket covered with some sort of a cloth and says, there's the tomb of David. Peter said his body is still with us today. It's not. He can't be talking about himself. Because David's still in the tomb. David's still dead. David's body has been corrupted. So God has overruled what man was trying to do, what the devil planned to do. He raised Jesus from the dead. So Peter's conclusion was that Jesus had been raised and ascended back to the Father And Jesus had sent to the Holy Spirit, just like he had promised to do in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And so he quotes scripture to prove his point. Psalm 68 verse 18. You have ascended on high, you had led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men. Oh, you see the giving the gifts among men. Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Yes, Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Now what all this has been doing has been to try to lead everybody's minds to the recognition that Jesus is Lord and Christ. I want you to understand this Jesus that you have crucified. Verse 36, God has made him both Lord and Christ. Well, what does that mean, that he is Lord? Oh, you could spend a lot of time talking about that term. But the term Lord indicates someone who is a master or a ruler. In Matthew 22, verse 43, he said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Ah, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. God the Father said to Jesus the Son, who both are Lord, the Lord said to my Lord. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Generally, the the Father is the master, the Son is the, the servant. But David said, the Lord said to my Lord, David acknowledges the fact that Jesus is Lord. But then Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, 
The one promised in the Old Testament that God would raise up. Oh, you read Isaiah 53 and you see the, the plan that God had for this son to be raised. Simply put, Revelation 17 verse 14 said, the, They will make war with the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them for He is Lord of lords and King of kings and those who are with Him are called chosen and faithful. He's not just a Lord, He's the Lord. He is the supreme one. Now here is the answer. You go to a doctor, you go to a physician, and you say, Doctor, I have these symptoms. The doctor listens to your symptoms and he diagnoses the disease that you have. And then the doctor says, If you want to live, you do this or you take this or you have this done to you. When you look at verse 37... The people get it. Look with me. He says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They are now recognizing God has made him Lord in Christ. You have crucified him. You put him on the cross. You're guilty. You got the disease of sin. Well, Peter is going to offer a prescription for their response to this. Very simple, very basic. Let's look at verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. You've got to change your life. You can't keep doing the same sinful things that you've been doing. Romans chapter 3, 9, and 10 tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23 of Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. These people were guilty of a specific sin, and that is crucifying Jesus. But you know what? I am just as guilty as they, and so are you. Because it is our sin that put Jesus on the cross. And so repent and let every one of you be baptized. That means to be immersed in water. That's what baptism is. That's the the prescription. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Someone says, well... What does that mean for the remission of sins? There's another verse in the Bible that says exactly the same thing, only a little bit differently. Matthew 26 and verse 28. Jesus said, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is poured out for you for the remission of sins. 
Oh, the blood of Jesus was shed so that my sins could be forgiven. In order to forgive my sins. Yes. My response to that, that's what Jesus did to forgive our sins. What does he want me to do? Repent and be baptized so that my sins can be forgiven. Now, when you look at the context, there was a sense of urgency here. Peter was not asking, you know, guys, if this just sort of fits along, we right. No, he's offering a command to them. And he is going to pursue that by saying in verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Many other words, not everything that Peter said was recorded by Luke. But what he recorded was powerful. You know, sometimes preachers just want to really drive the point home to get people to think. Many other words. Be saved. Oh, I remember. Verse 21 Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. These people know that this is a, a matter not of life and death, but a matter of heaven or hell. This is whether or not you are saved or whether or not you will be lost. Now the question is, how did they respond to that message? Some people, when you deliver a message like that, what are you telling me to do? It's not what they did. Verse 41 then those that gladly received his word were baptized. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Do you notice that word saved, saved, saved? What are the people doing to be saved? The ones who are listening to what he says, they're baptized. And God is adding those people to his church. That's the saved. That's the ones who are going to make it to eternity. You know that same message is preached today. We don't change it. It's still all about the person of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did and how he is supposed to be the Lord and master of our lives. Jesus is still Lord and Christ. Men today still sin and they still need to correct their lives so they need to be baptized for the remission of sins. That's the call to action that you should repent and be baptized. Now, the only question right now is have you done that? Many of you have. Many of you have, over the years, come to a recognition that your sins need to be dealt with and you have made a decision, I'm willing to surrender now. I believe in Jesus the Christ. I'm willing to turn from my sins and now I want to be baptized. Let me tell you this morning, I want to be as plain and as simple and as open as I can. That's what we want to encourage you to do. Behind me is a baptistry. It's full of warm water. There's garments for men and women. And if this morning you have made your mind up, 
I want to be obedient to the gospel. I'm going to ask that you come and sit on the front seat when we sing the invitation song. Just tell me I want to become a Christian. We'll let you confess your faith in Christ and then baptize you this morning. The question is now on your side, have you done that? If you've not, why not? What are you waiting on? There'll never be a more appropriate time than right now. Also, if you're a Christian, you need prayers, we'll pray with you. Would you come all together? We stand and sing.